0: This morning, we're continuing our look of, uh, at the book of Philemon, and today we're going to be talking about how we can demonstrate an appreciation for the extravagant grace of Jesus. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Philemon. Today we're going to pick up at verse 17. We finished up at verse 16 last time, and today we're going to pick up at verse 17, and we're going to go down to Verse 20. So, not a very long portion of Scripture, but certainly a very interesting portion of Scripture, especially when you think of it through the lens of what Christ has done for us. Because as we're going through the book of Philemon, one of the things that you quickly realize when you're working through that book, it was a letter from the Apostle Paul to Philemon, and yet it gives us this picture, this illustration of how the gospel applies to our day-to-day lives And you see that illustrated in the circumstances that are being addressed in the letter, but also in the ways in which the Apostle Paul replies to Philemon, or or just kind of addresses what he's saying to Philemon. And you're going to see it in particular in the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today. So again, Philemon, starting with verse 17, this is what it says. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity today to be able to look at your word together. Thank you for this brief portion of scripture that just pack so much information and application. And Lord, we pray that as we look at this together, that you'd help us to understand more about it. We pray that you'd help us to grow on our walk with you. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to put all other things in life aside right now that, that tend to cloud our mind and that we would be able to just spend some dedicated time focused on the teaching of your word and the application of the scriptures to our day-to-day lives. And Lord, we're grateful for access to it. We're grateful to be able to start off our week by looking at it together and we pray that you'd speak to us by the power of your Spirit. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, a a very kind woman invited my family to visit her home and share a meal with her, and uh, it was an interesting experience because she grew up in a very different part of the world, and uh, she was planning to serve us food that we would be rather unfamiliar with and we didn't know what we were about to eat we were just grateful for her hospitality and for this opportunity to spend time with her and for her and her family so we had no idea what to expect we had no idea if we would enjoy the food or if it would be food that we had to kind of will ourselves to eating but we gladly accepted the invitation and we went over and i still remember the conversation that we had with our children while we were in the car on the way over to her house the kids were young at the time And uh, we made it abundantly clear, you you know, like these conversations you have with your children before you show up places, like, you you, you just picture how this conversation went, right? Uh, But we made it abundantly clear that it was our expectation that they eat whatever they were served without complaint and without reaction, right? Because it's like you can't complain and you can't react if you're served something that you're unfamiliar with. And they agreed, and they were very cooperative throughout the meal, although at one point, one of our kids, I won't tell you which one it was, Daniel, uh, he, uh, (laughs) he had an unfamiliar dessert. That he didn't realize took more than just a moment to chew. And he looked over at Andrea and he couldn't, he couldn't say anything. And she's like, You need to get water. You need to drink water. And to, don't, don't embarrass us. Don't. And he's like, Nothing I could do. It was like concrete in his mouth. He couldn't do anything about it. But it was cool because, I, and I was glad, and all of us were really glad that, that, that we arrived with empty stomachs. Because as we were sitting down to this meal, this woman was extremely, and I mean extremely generous with the food that she prepared for. us, She made all kinds of meats, and then in addition to making all kinds of meats, she made all kinds of side dishes, and literally, without exception, everything was delicious. Some of the things we were familiar with, some of the things we were unfamiliar with, but everything was delicious, and we were exposed to some new foods, and it was really good, but one of the things that was one of my big takeaways from that experience was not even so much learning to appreciate some foods that we had never tried before, The thing that was one of my big takeaways was just what it looked like to see somebody go so far out of her way to be generous to bless my family. Like it clearly took a lot of time, a lot of effort, probably a lot of expense to be that big of a blessing to the six of us that she invited over and then fed us until we literally couldn't eat another thing. And I was thinking about this, that experience this week and looking at this portion of Scripture because when you look at just this brief portion of Scripture that I just read, there's a variety of applications we could take from it, and there's certainly, you know, some of these things will develop here in just a minute, but one of the things it reminds me of is the fact that in Christ, we have been so generously blessed. We have been blessed by Christ in such generous ways. Through the work He accomplished on our behalf, what you see is just an extravagant grace being shown to each of us. And one of the most obvious ways that we can display the transformation that Christ has, has accomplished within us is to acknowledge that extravagant grace by also showing it to other people. He demonstrates that grace to us, but he also gives us the opportunity to demonstrate it to other people. And so that's specifically what you see the Apostle Paul speaking of, When you look at the verses we just read, verses 17 through 20 of his letter to Philemon, he's talking about this idea of being recipients of extravagant grace from Jesus, who then take the opportunity to demonstrate that extravagant grace to other people. And there's a few statements here that I want to highlight, a few concepts that are brought up in just these brief verses that I think give us a picture of what it looks like to do that. And it's not just Paul doing this to Philemon, it's not just Philemon doing this to Onesimus, who is the other person being referenced in this book. It's an opportunity for each of us to do this to anyone that the Lord puts in our path. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul brings up in verse 17 as a principle, he talks about this idea of receive him as you would receive me. So just think of that statement for a moment. Receive him as you would receive me. What did he mean by that? So let me reread that verse. Paul says, so if you consider me your partner receive him as you would receive me. So the book of Philemon, it's a very brief letter. You know, you could read it in maybe two or three minutes, if that. You could probably even read it quicker than that. And as Paul continued to pen the the specific words of this brief letter, he did so with an eye toward helping Philemon, who was a slave master, and Onesimus, who was his escaped slave, To reconcile, but for this to take place, these men were going to have to see each other very differently from how they had seen each other in the past. For years, Onesimus, who was an escaped slave at this point, he saw Philemon as a slave owner and a master. And I get the impression that he may have resented that, and I don't think that any of us could blame him for feeling that way. I don't know what circumstances led to Onesimus becoming a slave. Sometimes in that culture and in that context, sometimes if you owed money, you could become a slave, and so sometimes it would work out that way. Other times, there were more severe forms of slavery, but either way, I think it was going to be a challenge for Onesimus to be able to look at Philemon as his brother, when for years he's looked at him as a slave master... And, uh, and, and as somebody that maybe he had kind of an impression of as being somewhat oppressive. And likewise, I think it would certainly be a challenge for Philemon to, to see Onesimus as anything other than a slave, and not only a slave, but a slave who had defrauded him. Because I'm, I, I feel pretty confident that, that Philemon was highly irritated when Onesimus abruptly left him several years earlier. And even though most people in our era rightly see slavery as a moral wrong, during the first century it was a very common practice in the the Roman Empire, and it would have been very easy for Philemon to, in a sense, like puff up his chest and declare himself as a law-abiding citizen and then label Onesimus as a lawbreaker, you know, someone who broke the law. Philemon very well could have seen the situation that way, and the courts and the the government of the time probably would have agreed with him. But Paul challenged Philemon to see Onesimus through new eyes, to look at him differently, instead of becoming enraged at the sight of him when he returned. And By the way, Onesimus was going to be returning from Rome, where Paul was, and where Paul wrote this letter, back to Colossae, where Philemon lived, and Onesimus was going to have this letter from Paul to share with Philemon, and instead of becoming enraged at the sight of him when he returned, Paul encouraged Philemon to welcome Onesimus or receive Onesimus like he would welcome him or like he would receive him. He's saying, basically, when Onesimus shows up, treat him like you would treat me if I showed up, because in doing so, you'll be demonstrating the extravagant grace. You could even say the extravagant mercy of Jesus And I think it's very interesting to read this brief letter and to contemplate direct applications that I think the Lord wants us to make in our lives, because when you think about our spiritual condition, and when you look at what Scripture tells us directly, it makes it very clear that we too were slaves. That's one of the things that Scripture tells us about our spiritual condition prior to coming to know Christ. We were slaves, we didn't necessarily know we were slaves, but Scripture tells us, We were slaves. Scripture reveals that at one time we were slaves to sin. Slaves to sin. Pushed around by sin. Doing its bidding. Some frequently eager to do its bidding. And just living in the midst of that slavery and and many of us for a very long time not even realizing that we needed to be freed from it. But now we've been made sons of God. That's how God receives us. That's how God welcomes us. As God the Father sees God the Son, so as the Father sees Jesus, so too does He see us. That's what Scripture reveals to us. I love what Scripture tells us in Galatians chapter 4. Let me show you real quick. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says this, and this is also the Apostle Paul uh, writing this here, but he said, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Isn't that a powerful portion of Scripture just to to think about the transformation that the Lord's accomplished in our lives? That you and I at one point were slaves, but now we're, we're not slaves. We're the children of God. We're the sons of God, as the Scripture says. So as one who is received by the Lord as his child... What would it look like for us to demonstrate this kind of extravagant grace towards somebody else who might need it? Because it's a very different way of looking at other people. It's a very different way of looking at ourselves as well. What would it take for us to be able to see other people with new eyes? And maybe what would it take even for us to be able to see ourselves with new eyes? But here in this portion of Scripture, you have someone, you have Onesimus who has spent his entire life living as a slave. And now Paul's saying to Philemon, don't look at him as a slave. Look at him as a partner in ministry, just like you would look at me. Look at him as someone that, that shares the same inheritance that you share, because in Christ he's no longer a slave, he's a son. And if he's a son, he's an heir. And if that's the way, you're, that's, if that's the way your Lord is seeing him, that's the way you should see him as well. He's saying, receive him as you would receive me. And then Paul says something else when you look at verse 18. He basically says to Philemon, charge his debts to my account. Now, even before I reread that portion of Scripture, are there too many contexts in day-to-day life where you'd be eager to say that? Wouldn't you want to know what the number was at least before you made that offer? It just charge his debts to my account, right? It's like, uh, what are we talking about here, right? What, it's kind of like, what college did he go to? I just want to double-check before I, I accept that debt. But it says this, Paul says in verse 18, it says, If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Now, earlier this year, I forget um, what month this was, but it wasn't too long ago. My wife was standing in line at a convenience store. She was standing in line at Wawa. And uh, in front of her was another woman who looked like, I guess she must have just finished a shift at work. And it also appeared that the food that she was purchasing was going to be her dinner that evening. But when she swiped her card to pay for it, the card didn't work. So she tried the card again, she tried it multiple times. I think she even did the trick, you know, where you try and like brush off your card, like that's gonna make your card work or whatever it may be. I have a friend that used to have a theory that if you're wearing wool, that you could like take your card and like rub it on wool and then that would make it work better. I don't know if that works, but that was his theory. But whatever she was trying, it didn't work. Everything she tried, it didn't work. She couldn't pay for it. She tried multiple times. The system would not accept her payment. And so she was frustrated, and she was embarrassed, and she ultimately decided to put her food back and leave the store, but that's when my wife stopped her. My wife stopped her and offered to pay. And uh, my wife was telling me that for a, a moment, the woman protested, but then accepted my wife's act of generosity and felt relieved. But she also insisted that my wife allow her to pay it back. Uh, and believe it or not, she followed through with paying it back later that same day, even though my wife told her it wasn't necessary. She said, no, 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 give me your, give me your number and I'll Apple pay it to you later on. I'll, I'll get it squared away from my phone. And it, it was kind of a cool story. And it was something that I, I, was, I, I was pleased when I heard that my wife had done that for somebody and helped her out in a bind. And I was thinking of that because when you look at this, on a larger scale, you have Paul offering to make an interesting payment on behalf of Onesimus. He's, in, he's offering to pay for something here. Onesimus had robbed Philemon. Well, how did he rob him? You could say he robbed him maybe even in two ways. Because he robbed him of time that he was legally obligated to work for him. So, you look at it one way and say, according to the legal system of the day, Onesimus was technically obligated to work for Philemon for a period of time. And so, in escaping, he robbed Philemon of the time that he owed him. But it's also possible, and I I imagine it's probably even likely to say probable, that when he made his plan to leave Colossae and escape to Rome, that he probably took some money or property or both from Philemon to, to fund his escape and to fund his trip in Rome or trip to Rome and probably also maybe to, to even fund him getting himself a little bit established once he got to Rome. And so here you have Paul recognizing that all of this may have taken place, and so he offers to settle that debt on Onesimus' behalf, he just offers to settle it. And I look at that and I think, that's a beautiful thing to read. Isn't that a beautiful thing to read, especially when you start looking at the deeper spiritual application of this? Even when you just look at it on the human level, it's a beautiful thing to read. The the idea of somebody saying, you know what, I have a friend who has a debt he cannot pay and I will pay it for him. That's a beautiful thing, just person to person. But when you think about it, on the deeper spiritual level, it's even more beautiful because it's such a, a powerful and selfless selfless application of what Christ has done on behalf of all believers. Our sin was charged to Christ's account, and we were given Christ's righteousness in its place. We had a debt we couldn't pay, and we were desperate to have it paid for us, but even before we were desperate to have it paid for us, we were ignorant of the debt that we even had, both difficult situations, and yet Christ willingly and joyfully paid that debt for us. The just died for the unjust. The master died for the slave in order to set the slave free. That's what Christ has done on our behalf. I love what we're told. There's a couple verses from Corinthians, one from First Corinthians and one from 2 Corinthians I want to share with you. First Corinthians 7.23 reminds us, you were bought with a price, do not become slaves of men. So just think about that statement for a second. What did Christ do for us? Ultimately, our redemption was paid for with the shed blood of Christ. And the scripture encourages us not to return to any form of slavery, not to return to the slavery that we once had in regard to uh, just our, our sinful preferences, and ultimately not to submit ourselves to slavery of any kind. Slavery to men, slavery to circumstances, slavery to anything unhealthy or ungodly because you were bought with a price. Christ paid for your freedom. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he says, For our sake He, and he's referencing God the Father here, he says, For our sake the Father made Him, Jesus, so for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus came to this earth and literally became sin in that, in that spiritual sense. He took our sin upon Himself so that we could become the righteousness of God. The just taking the place of the unjust. The one who had the means to pay the debt, taking on the debt of those who couldn't pay it. That's what's been done for us. And ultimately, in Paul's words here and in his actions, isn't he illustrating this? He's demonstrating that he knows what's been done for him on a spiritual level, and so he's trying to help Philemon and Onesimus see what this looks like when we live it out toward one another, when we demonstrate that kind of extravagant grace. Our debt was charged to Christ's account. And Paul was trying to make this known. And again, I... I, I think we should keep this in mind. It's, such a, it's a brief portion of Scripture, but it's a powerful portion of Scripture that gives us the opportunity and hopefully the motivation to apply this when we interact with other people who need the extravagant grace of Christ shown to them, but we have the opportunity to demonstrate that because it's been demonstrated to us. Well, Paul goes on a little further here, and he continues this thought related to debt. And he reminds us, and he reminds Philemon here, essentially, don't forget the debt that was paid on your behalf, because it's one thing to have the debt paid, but it's another thing to think about it. And sometimes I wonder to myself, how often I let myself even think about it? How often do I even allow myself to contemplate it? The fact that I had a debt that I could not pay. I don't know if you're, if you're like me at all, uh, with the, and for your sake, I hope not, by the way, all right, in many, many areas. Um, But one of the things, is anyone kind of like this, do you ever have kind of like a difficult time accepting a gift? I have no problem being a gift giver, but I have a difficult time sometimes accepting a gift. And you know what's really at the core of that? Like if you think about it, and I hate to admit this, Cheryl's nodding her head. She's like, I know it's at the core of this. I saw that nod. You don't realize that I see every face All right. If you check your phone, if you go to sleep, I see all your faces. I know it all, and I'm keeping a list right here. Not true, but I do see every every face. So I saw. So Cheryl, you know what's at the heart of this? All right. She's a good sport, so I can call her up. Um, my own pride. Like if you think about it, isn't it isn't it a matter of pride if you're if you're willing to give a gift but not receive a gift? Isn't that a pride issue? I think that's a pride issue, because sometimes you bless other people by allowing them to bless you, and so that's one of the things that the Lord's had to work on me during the course of my adult life to be able to say, all right, even part, you know, a huge part of your spiritual growth and your spiritual life has been receiving a gift you couldn't earn, but I know that if I was the one setting up the way salvation worked, my own tendencies would probably set it up so that it had to be something that you you did earn. And I'm glad it's not like that because the truth is that would put us in an impossible spot because I could never earn it. I could never be purely righteous enough to earn it. I could never go through life sinless and mistake-free enough to earn it. The only way to receive salvation was to receive it as a gift. As Christ has given it to us, something he paid for, the righteous paying it for the unrighteous, the, the one without debt taking on the debt or satisfying the debt of those who had it. And I think it's very easy to forget that that debt has been paid on our behalf. And look at what Paul says in verse 19. He says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. So just think about that here. A lot of times when he would deliver letters to different places, he would have like a secretary write it down, and then sometimes he would sign it at the very end, but he would would orate it. He would speak it, and then someone would write it down. But here he says, I write this with my own hand. And there's kind of a significance to that, you know, when he's saying, I write this with my own hand. Well, just think about this in in the terms of a legal contract. He's saying, I'll repay it. I'm writing this with my own hand. I am binding myself legally to pay this debt. That's what he's doing here. I write this with my own hand. I will repay it. I write it with my own hand. I've now legally obligated myself for any debt that you want to charge Onesimus. It now legally has to be put to my account. I wrote this with my own hand. he says, to say nothing, and this is kind of interesting, all right? Notice how he says this. I don't know if I could give it the right inflection, but I think it would be something like this. To say nothing of, you're owing me your own self. What? It's like, yeah, I'll pay his debt. Oh, by the way, you, you owe me your own self. Just thought I'd bring it up, you know, in case you wanted to be reminded of, of, uh, of that fact, Philemon, right? Now, let me, let me even say this here. I want to get back to that in a second, but I'll tell you one of the things that I find personally dangerous about being a Christian as long as I have, I came to faith in Christ uh, right before my 10th birthday. That's when I feel like I really understood the gospel, and it was about uh, maybe about five years after that when I was really thoroughly discipled and really started to live that out, I think, in, in more visible ways, but I was about 10 years old when I came to faith in Christ, and the dangerous thing about being a Christian as long as I have is that it can be far too easy for me to start to forget about the radical ways that Jesus has chosen to bless me. And the reason it can be far too easy is because I'm used to it, in a sense. I've been spending most of my life aware of it now, and when you just go through life aware of it, sometimes you can grow used to it in a way that might make you start forgetting what was done on your behalf because you've been experiencing the blessings and the benefits of it for a very long time. Well, I don't want to forget about the debt that Jesus paid on my behalf. Just because it was something—it was a gift that I received at a young age doesn't mean that as I grow older that I should be less appreciative. I think what I should be doing is looking at it and saying, wow, I don't think I even understood the full scope of that when I was 10 years old and, and accepted that gift, but the older I get, the more appreciative of it I should become as my faith grows. Now, I get the impression that Philemon was probably a man of above-average wealth. And he probably, in that culture, was not somebody that struggled with financial debt. Now, most of us in this room have understood what it feels like to have debt. You know, I, there, have been, there was one season of my life where I, I remember waking up at night and uh, being aware of just how much debt I had and realizing I'm one unexpected surprise away from not being able to make my payments. I think that was maybe right around 2006, 2007. I just remember waking up one night and just thinking, all it will take is like one surprise, and I won't have enough to make these payments. And I was like, okay, I got to do something. And when that became clear in my mind, I was like, what does it take to not have debt? Because debt feels bad, and I don't think that we oftentimes think about, you know, spiritual debt in the same respect. And when I look at Philemon. I don't even imagine that he was somebody that really wrestled with what it looked like or felt to have financial debt. It's very possible he maybe never even had it. And if that was the case, it might even be somewhat difficult for him to identify with the struggles of someone like Onesimus, who probably felt crushed under debt's burden. It might not have been something that he could personally identify with. And so Paul here chooses his words very carefully as he's addressing him. And without belaboring the point, but he's also trying to be very careful, very direct, you have Paul reminding Philemon, he's reminding him of the fact that he owed the well-being of his eternal soul to Paul, because it was Paul who shared the gospel with him. It was Paul who showed him that he needed Jesus. It was Paul who assisted in his early discipleship. And it was Paul who was giving him now a a, a very, very clear model of how a true Christian ought to operate in the midst of a fallen world. So you have Paul bringing up the fact that you owe me, brother. It's like, by the way, you owe me. You don't think you owe anyone anything. And I'm telling you, you owe me. It's kind of a big deal to bring it up, isn't it? That's kind of a bold thing to say. But I think Paul was kind of known for being a bit bold, if you keep in mind where he was at the time that he was writing this. He was in home imprisonment in Rome because he wouldn't shut up. And what would he not shut up about? He would not shut up about the gospel. No person, no authority, no government could cause him to shut up about it. So now and then you also have to use that bold ability to speak to maybe confront a friend or confront a brother and just remind him of something he might not be thinking about and maybe just needs a little little nudge. And so he looks at Philemon and he's like, listen, you know, okay, I get it. You don't understand what it's like to be crushed under financial debts, but I'm just going to let you know, you owe me your very soul. You owe me your very self. So don't, you know, like don't don't play games. Just remember how you got to be where you are. So if Philemon was going to make a big debt or a big deal about the debt that was owed to him, Paul here, he wants him to take stock of the deeper level spiritual indebtedness that had gone into the, to the, to the fact that he was where he was at this point. And on top of that, Paul wanted to be abundantly clear that all believers had a debt. It was a debt that was paid on our behalf, and we should not lose sight of that. It's illustrated in the words that Paul's saying here. We were dead, but Jesus made us alive. We were under the curse of the law, but Jesus canceled the debt that stood against us. When Jesus was crucified, he died to pay for the sin we committed so that you and I could live eternally free, no longer slaves. I love what Scripture reminds us when you look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. There it says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. Just hang on that sentence for a second. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. The whole list. Your, your smallest thing and the worst thing you ever did. Or the worst thing you ever thought. Or the worst thing you ever said. We've been forgiven of it all. By canceling the record of that debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There's going to be a day when you and I are going to stand before the Lord and we're going to give an account for our life. How would you like to have to stand before the Lord and give an account for every single sin, mistake, ill thought, anything that had ever occurred in your life? If that was the ultimate assessment for you as a Christian, that you would then have that that conversation with the Lord and then go from that to being condemned forever. Because that was the spot we were in. That was the fate that awaited us, to give an account for our life before the Lord, there be a record of every sin that was held against us, and then we go from there to eternal condemnation. That's where we were at. And so Christ, knowing that that was our predicament, came to this earth, took on flesh, lived the sinless life that we couldn't live. He lived it for us. He died on the cross to pay for our sin, and the Scripture says He's now forgiven us all our trespasses. Anyone who trusts in him has their trespasses, every sin, completely forgiven. And that record that did exist is now canceled. It's like getting a, uh, you know, like a notice from your credit card company saying, you know what, you're good. Like, you're good. If your credit card company called you up and was like, hey, you know what, you have been a longtime customer. You have been paying us interest since, you know, the late 90s. And as you can see, we've built several skyscrapers, mostly with your money. Thank you. Uh, At this point now, you're good. The debt is canceled. Don't you think you'd be quite relieved Or if your mortgage company was like, you know what? We have enough money. We're good. Like, your house is paid for. It's done. Vehicle, paid for, everything. It's all squared away. No problem. Business debts, student loans, all paid for, right? We'd be like, this is so great. You just walk outside. Yesterday we were outside, and I was smelling the honeysuckle in the air. Don't you think if all our debts were just canceled in the financial sense, we'd just like walk outside, and it would smell different? I think it would. Just like walk around and be like, I don't owe anything to anybody. And then you look at the spiritual condition we were in, it's like, oh, yeah, you owed. And you're going to have to stand before the Lord and make that account someday. And you don't have anything that can satisfy that debt. But Jesus does. And he's the only one who does. And he looked at that and he said, I will pay it for you. And he did. And he forgave us our trespasses. And he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its demands, with its legal demands. It says, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's what it took, by the way, for your debt and my debt to be paid. When you see any sort of painting or an image or even you just think about it in your mind, of Christ being nailed to the cross, understand that the reason he was nailed to the cross was because of what you did and what you thought, your rebellion, your ignorance of God. That's why he was nailed there, to pay for for our mistakes and our acts of rebellion. And don't think of it as just him paying for somebody else. Think of it as him paying for yours. He did that for you. That's what it took. And this is the type of stuff that the Apostle Paul was really trying to make abundantly clear to Philemon here. Wanted him to understand that if you're grateful for that, there's going to come a time in your life where you're going to have the opportunity to show it. If you're really grateful, here's your test, Philemon. Onesimus, who owes you lots, is going to show up, and you're either going to cast him out or you're going to welcome him in. But if you claim to be thankful for what Jesus did for you, you better treat him in accordance with that gratefulness. Now, if you're not grateful for what Jesus has done for you and you're ignorant of that, go ahead, treat him that way. But guess what? I think God will take care of that too, won't he? God's going to address it one way or another. So if you're grateful, if you're grateful for what Christ has done for you, if we're grateful for what Christ has done for us, Don't miss the opportunity to show extravagant grace, extravagant mercy, extravagant love to somebody else, and don't wait around for them to deserve it because they won't deserve it. The grace you and I were shown, it wasn't shown to us because we deserved it. Scripture said we were living as enemies of God. It was like we woke up every day, thumbed our nose at God, and went about our business acting like He didn't even exist. He didn't wait for us to get it right because we couldn't get it right. And here, again, you have the Apostle Paul saying, the record of debt that you owed was set aside. It was nailed to the cross. And it's time to acknowledge that in a visible way. There's one other thing that Paul brings up here, and it's pretty useful to think about in this context refresh my heart. These are the words that he uses here. Refresh my heart. What does he mean by this? Refresh my heart. Look at verse 20. He says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So last week, uh, some of you know, first of all, where are you at, Greg? Is he upstairs, downstairs? Oh, thank you, by the way, for preaching. I keep hearing great compliments of your message last week. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but I'm going to listen to it tomorrow. That's my my pledge to you. Um, But last week, my son Daniel and I, we attended a conference together. And uh, I try and do this a few times a year. I usually get a lot out of it. We were down in Florida, and typically when you're at a conference at a hotel, well, first of all, it's a little bit muggy and warm down in Florida, and so they have the AC going. But you know what that does is you're going throughout your day in this conference center and hotel kind of dries you out and makes you thirsty, and you don't even realize that it's happening. Large hotel, large conference center, we're walking around, attending sessions, lots of people in, a, in attendance, and I find myself in context like that, I frequently don't get enough to drink. That happens to me all the time. You just keep going from thing to thing to thing, and you're not near where you would easily just get something to drink. And I noticed by the end of each day, I, w- I would feel dehydrated. And uh, so again, that same pattern was emerging at this conference, and so multiple days I ended up doing this. At the end of the day, I found myself stopping at the small store that was inside the hotel to buy a bottle of a sports drink. I, 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 I bought Powerade. by the way. My son's shaking his head no. So Cheryl, it's not just you I see head shaking. I see my son shaking his head no. When, he, when I bought the Powerade, he looked at this, and he's like, Dad, why are you buying that? Buy something else. I was like, what are you talking about? This will be refreshing. He said, Dad, what is it? He's like, that's sugar, water, and green. Those are, the, those are the ingredients. You're about to drink sugar, water, and green. And I was like, listen, it's going to taste good. And it supposedly has electrolytes for me that are going to refresh me and all that, which it did. I felt better after drinking it, but to my son's chagrin. But I look at this here, you have the Apostle Paul looking to be refreshed. Now, when we're thirsty in the physical sense, we know what it means to be refreshed, but here he's talking about this idea of being spiritually refreshed. And he's basically saying, look, after all the time and after all the effort and after all the pain that I've invested in you, Philemon, and in your spiritual development and your spiritual growth, he's saying, I want to be refreshed by the spiritual fruit that should be coming from your life at this point. I made enough of an investment in you that now it's my turn to be refreshed. I've been refreshing you and investing in you. Now it's my turn. I want to be refreshed by spiritual fruit that comes from your life. And basically, this was perfectly right for the Apostle Paul to ask, perfectly right for him to expect. It's kind of like the process of raising children. You know, when you think about the process that you go through, after all the suffering and after all the stress and after all the expense that you've endured to help them navigate their early seasons of life, it, it seems right to expect them to start giving back in some respect someday. So you want to see them acting on the advice that you've given them. You want to see them making sacrifices to invest in the generation that they will raise, like you made sacrifices to invest in them. And then when you see them doing what you've taught them to do, your heart feels encouraged. And your heart feels refreshed. And you realize that your investment in their life, it wasn't in vain. I truly hope that if the Lord allows me to live long enough, that that's one of those things that I get to look back over the course of my life and just be able to say that the investment paid off, like that it was worth it, that every, every ounce of toil, every ounce of emotional energy, every ounce of, of counsel or wisdom, that, that someday you can look back and say, yeah, that was completely, completely Worth it and how refreshing that would be. And that's what the Apostle Paul wanted to see with Philemon here. He invited Philemon to refresh his heart in this manner. And I'm inclined to believe that Philemon complied. I'm inclined to believe that Philemon actually did this. So let me say this as we finish up. Every single day that you and I live this side of heaven, Every single day, we're going to be offered new opportunities to demonstrate the extravagant grace of Christ that you and I have been blessed to receive. We didn't deserve it, but we've been blessed to receive it. So what divinely ordained blessings have you become aware of in your life? Do you recognize that you've been blessed with forgiveness? Do you recognize that you've been blessed with redemption? Do you realize that that the Lord is not resenting you? And do you look at that as an opportunity to forgive somebody else that has offended you? Or to settle the, the debate that exists in your mind of whether or not to extend mercy to somebody else? You know, do you look at the blessings that Christ has given you, do you ask the question, how can I utilize these blessings, not just to be a consumer of them who enjoys them and keeps them to myself, but how can I actually bestow these same kind of blessings on other people as a recipient of these very things? Are there blessings that the Lord's given us that we can use to reflect the extravagant grace that he's given us? This is the type of thing that Paul wanted Philemon to wrestle with, because it was about to be put to the test in his life. And as you and I look at this, and as you and I think about these sorts of things, I think we could expect that at some point, maybe even today, it's going to be put to the test in our lives as well. And when it's put to the test in your life, when you have the opportunity to bless as you have been blessed, when you have the opportunity to show grace as you've been shown grace, don't wait a whole long time to actually do it. Don't spend your entire life just contemplating it but never taking action on it. Follow through with it because this is the very thing that Christ has done for us. And it's the type of thing that I think sometimes he puts those tests in your life and my life to remind us of it because we become forgetful. And he wants us to have to exercise that impulse. He wants us to have to exercise that spiritual discipline discipline to bless someone as we have been blessed. So don't despise when that opportunity comes, but seize that opportunity and show the extravagant grace of Christ to somebody else, because we've certainly been the recipients of it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at your word together this morning and to think about some of these things that you've revealed to us in it. Lord, we're so grateful for it. We're so grateful for all the things that you have shown us and all that you have done on our behalf. And Father, we're grateful that when we look at your word, it reminds us of the fact that your Son, Jesus Christ, went to the cross to take our sin upon himself so that we who were under a crushing load of debt could experience the forgiveness of that debt, that the record of it would be canceled as he was nailed to the cross, that the just would die for the unjust, that the perfect would take on sin. So that we could become righteous so father we pray that our trust in your son would grow we pray that our appreciation for the work he's accomplished on our behalf would develop and we pray that we would live that out as we have the opportunity to do so in our moments of interacting with those that you place in our lives thank you for every opportunity you give us thank you for our present tests and our future tests that will cause us to really wrestle with what it looks like to live this out But again, we thank you for the extravagant grace that we've been shown through your Son, Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.